You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Thanks for uh, joining us. If this is your first time here, we are in a series. We're wrapping up this Sunday called Life of David, where we are looking at King David and just seeing what can we glean from the Old Testament? What can we glean from this guy who lived some 3,000 years ago? What does that mean for our faith? So if you have a Bible, I want us to turn to Psalm 103, Psalm 13, and Psalm 42. Just put some fingers in some places to hold your spot. We're not going to look at all three chapters, every single verse, so calm down, you know, don't freak out. We'll just be looking at a few verses in each, Psalm 103, Psalm 13, and Psalm 42. Now, to wrap up this series, what we are going to be doing this morning is looking at David's inner life to really see what did David, when he stood before the Lord, what did his prayers look like? What was his heart posture towards the Lord? And we want to examine that and see what does that have to say for our lives here and now. Culturally speaking, this is a big point of emphasis, maybe now more than ever, where we realize as we examine our inner lives culturally, that we are just kind of all over the map. I think of it almost like a glacier where you can see above the surface just like 10% of what that glacier really is, but if you actually examine, if you actually go underneath and excavate, you see that there's so much more to it than meets the eye. And when it comes to our souls, we are a lot like that. That even as we examine ourselves or even the people around us, we think we know, but when you actually process and have conversations with people and we look at past hurt and trauma, we find that there's more going on than meets the eye. And part of following Jesus is we want to examine that and really bring that before the Lord so that we can be healthy followers of Jesus that make it for the long haul. That's our hope. That's our wish for you as a church, that we are followers of Jesus who make it to the very end. And culturally speaking, we are all over the map. Just to give you a few statistics, roughly 18% of the population in America has been diagnosed with some level of anxiety. One study done last May found that 40% of Americans were more anxious at that moment than they were the year prior. An estimated 7% of U.S. adults had a major depressive episode last year. The suicide rate in our culture continues to climb up to about 24% in the last 15 years or so. Just imagine that, 24% higher than it was 15 years ago, the rate of suicide. As of last year, 42% of American adults have been to a professional counselor or therapist. And all of this seems to dispel this notion that we as a culture are just going to progress and progress and things are going to be more and more awesome and we just need a little bit more time and then we will finally arrive to this place where everything is perfect and nothing can hurt us, right? We seem to have new technology made available to us each and every moment, like I can push on my phone just a series of buttons and be into contact with literally any person on the planet. Or I can go to my kitchen and I can just push a button and have instant coffee just magically show up. It's not good coffee, 
but it's coffee, right? We have all this new technology made available to us. We're progressing as a culture. And yet at the same time, it seems like our culture is waving this white flag as if to say, hey, we're not all there. Hey, we're all over the place internally. Something is off here. The fact that 42% of American adults have sought professional help just goes to show at some level that internally we need some processing. We need to seek some health if we really want to understand our lives and how we make it for the long haul following Jesus together. One of the ways social psychologists say that we know our inner lives are going is how we deal with reality. It's how we deal with reality because much of our inner lives are reactions to our perceptions of the world. I'll say that again. Much of our inner lives are reactions to our perceptions of the world. So here's what's happening out here, circumstances, whatever's going, and then we perceive it in a certain way and we react accordingly. And that's how we process, that's how we filter through reality. But then the big question is, the big problem is what we are filtering through, is that true to reality or are we living in unreality? We have these outside circumstances, we perceive it, we process it, we react accordingly. But is that truly reality or are we living in unreality? Because I would argue that most of us buy into this sense of unreality. We believe lies about ourselves, the people around us. We believe lies about God because we are not perceiving reality correctly. So the goal is we want to have a rooted, healthy inner life to follow Jesus for the long haul. But that requires being able to process, to understand reality according to how God defines it, not how we define it. And so psychologists, Christian and Nanat, argue that the ability to have a healthy inner life, the move towards stability internally, no matter what comes your way, requires what they would say, an ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. To have a healthy internal life is to have an ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. We're able to stay grounded and centered and stable, and you come through the good and the bad of life without it letting it crush you, but you can walk out of it still being a healthy follower of Jesus. Now, all of this to, to intro our time with David, who, as we've seen over the past six weeks, he has gone through some stuff. He was on the run, fearful for his life as a teenage boy. King Saul wanted to kill him. We saw that his son wanted, wanted him dead so that he could take the crown, take the throne for himself. We saw David walk through some terrible, dark seasons of his soul where he committed some heinous acts in the dark, in the secret. And yet, what enabled David to endure? It was his inner life, his inner posture. That's what helped him navigate reality, to ground himself back into who God is, and what he has done for him. He cultivated these practices of deep intimacy with God that grounded him back to reality. And we know this because we have the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, 73 of those 150 Psalms David wrote, and in a lot of ways they were his prayer journals. They were what he was reflecting on and processing and what he was doing to ground himself back in the reality of who God is. And that is what enabled him to endure, 
to not get puffed up with pride, and to also not let his failures just absolutely crush him, what enabled him to endure was this healthy posture, this healthy inner life, these practices in his life. So what I want to do for us this morning is just do a quick, quick overview of the Psalms and to pull out three tools that David uses in his life to process reality, to have this healthy inner spiritual posture to make it for the long haul. Those three tools are gratitude to God, lament to God, and reorient to God. Gratitude, lament, and reorientation. So before we look at Scripture, I would love to pray for our time, and then we'll get into it. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the book of Psalms available and accessible to us so that we can process. We see these prayers, and God, we want these prayers to help inform our prayers that we can come to you no matter what, so that we have this dedication to reality at all costs. God, that is, that is our heart this morning. Help us be a people who follow you for the long haul. Equip us this morning by your spirit to dedicate ourselves to reality no matter what. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the first tool is gratitude to God. See this in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Gratitude to God. David says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. This inner life. He's directing his soul to bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I love the way David starts this psalm. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Exalt the Lord. Worship the Lord. He's talking to himself. He says, O my soul. He's saying, self, I will have you praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Bless the Lord. Count his blessings. So we see gratitude is an action. It's expressing your thankfulness to God. Gratitude is an action. It's not just an attitude. And just preface, if I were a better teacher, I would have made that rhyme. Gratitude is an action, not just an attitude. I probably would have made gratitude an attitude rhyme. I didn't. Sorry, but you can imagine if I did, right? Anyway, so for some of us, gratitude may be one of the hardest things for us to do because our default posture is cynicism, to just have a grumpy disposition. That everything can be going well 99% of the time, and then the 1% that it's off, you just hone in on that, and you obsess over that. I know that's my attitude, is cynicism, just a grumpy disposition all the time. In fact, uh, a quick example, y'all are probably familiar, we have a big holiday coming up at the end of the month, right? Where we all celebrate this big holiday, Black Friday, we all know about this holiday, <laughs> Now, you may not know, the day right before that is Thanksgiving. <laughs> and we've been doing this as a family ever since I got married about seven years ago, where we all sit around the table and we all express as a family what we are thankful for. And it is hard for me. It is naturally hard for me. For one, we have the food in front of us and we've made our plate. And then, it's, uh, and then we say, okay, wait, stop. What are you thankful for? It's, I, I just want to eat my food. Can I eat my food, please? But the reality is it is hard to express gratitude. 
And along with that, for others, we're pretty good at expressing gratitude and thankfulness, especially when it comes to the big stuff of life. You hold your newborn child for the first time, your heart just wells up with joy and gratitude. Or that job that you've been wanting and waiting for, it finally happens. Gratitude just pours out from you. Or that one time this year where we had that one day of fall. Do you guys remember that one day of fall we had in Columbia? Man, thankful for that. And in the overflow of those blessings, we proclaim gratefulness and thanksgiving and gratitude. But the biblical call to gratitude is actually much deeper than that. It is more than just showing thanks to God during the big moments of life. Look with me, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's on the screen. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This Greek word for all in verse 18 is the Greek word pos. Can you say that word with me, pos? All right, this Greek word means in the English, literally, get this, all. Did you catch that? It literally means all. I went to seminary. Thanks, seminary, for teaching me that. All circumstances, good and bad, we are to express gratitude to God. That means gratitude to God is not just a reaction. It's a discipline. Gratitude to God is not just a reaction. Only when you recognize it, it's a discipline to do it no matter the circumstances. Gratitude to God, it's this discipline of quieting your soul sitting down before the Lord and just recognizing he is a giver of all things. Anything he gives you, he uses as a means for you to worship him. Giving thanks in all circumstances, no matter what. And then what we notice in Psalm 103, even at verse 2, David says, forget not all his benefits. So he's essentially saying to his soul, hey, soul, I know you have a fuzzy memory, I know you tend to forget often, but Saul, I want you to show gratitude to God by recounting all the things that God has done in my life. And then he goes on in those verses to list out all of the benefits that God has done in David's life. He says how God has forgiven him all his iniquities. He's healed him from diseases, redeemed him from the pit, crowning him with steadfast love and mercy. David's grounding himself back to reality, and he's using gratitude and counting God's favor as the means to get him back there. So when we practice gratitude, we combat the unreality that things are always bad all the time. So the unreality, oh man, I have this job, and I really don't like this job. Why do I have this job? But gratitude says, God, thank you that I have a job. Thank you that I have the means to put food on the table and I can keep the lights on. God, what a blessing. I know it's hard, but I'm grateful and it's a gift that you have given me. Thank you for this job. The unreality that life groups and Sunday gatherings and rhythms is just the same old, same old. Whereas gratitude says, God, thank you. Thank you that I get to gather with these people week in and week out. God, Thank you that you are using these things to make me more like you. Thank you that I have the freedom to say I'm a follower of Jesus and not get persecuted for my faith. Jesus, thank you for that. And it doesn't stop there. All circumstances, 
all circumstances. So that friend that betrays you, God, thank you that you are always with me. God, thank you that you will never leave me or forsake me. God, help me extend forgiveness to this person and not let bitterness suffocate my heart because you've shown forgiveness to me over and over and over again. God, thank you. Or even when circumstances feel overwhelming. So I have three kids, five, three, and one. Most days I am just spent and expressing gratitude says, God, thank you. Thank you that you are using these little tiny monsters to make me cling to you more and more and more. Yeah, I got one amen. Thank you. So we need to create space. We need to create space to get before God and lean into these disciplines, this discipline of gratitude, recounting his blessings, thanking him in every season, no matter what. Sitting quiet before the Lord and counting his blessings over and over and over again. I know for some people, my wife, she has a gratitude journal that she just logs in most nights before she goes to bed, just where she's seen God at work in her day. I know for me, I have a folder in my email inbox of encouragements that I've received over the years just in doing ministry so that in days when my heart just isn't there, when I'm just feeling really sad, I can look back and say, wow, God is really at work in our church. God is really at work here. God, thank you for that. Help me not forget that. Thank you that I get to do this. And at the same time, what we're not saying is you always need to put on this positive, cheesy, fake smile all the time, which leads us to the second tool. There's also room and space to lament to God, to lament to God. A good way of thinking about lament is learning how to grieve the reality of life. Learning to acknowledge and not shy away from, but step into the fact that there is still a lot of ugliness and brokenness and suffering in the world. Sometimes allowing yourself to ugly cry before God and others. Allowing ourselves to go there with the pain and the darkness that we experience in our souls. We see this in Psalm 13. Here's David once again. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is David here. He's essentially saying, God, where are you? God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? I'm still here. Help me, God. I'm still here. How long? I'm in trouble and I'm in pain. How long is this going to keep on going? For some of us, we need to practice gratitude to ground ourselves back to reality. For others, we need help learning to be honest with the real pain and the struggles that we are going through in life. Or else we live in this unhealthy reality that everything is always good no matter what. Author Soon Chain Ra in his book Prophetic Lament says that the discipline of lamenting to God pushes against this cultural narrative of triumphalism. Triumphalism in our culture is this idea of, man, you're great. And if anything is coming your way, you can be victorious in it. Just try a little harder, just do a little more, and then you will be triumphant no matter what. But Lament says, hey, but things are bad. Hey, but things, I'm suffering right now. 
Even in Christian circles, this narrative of triumphalism can creep into our teaching. In Christian circles, this idea of, well, just believe more. Hey, you're suffering, you're doubting, just believe more. Try harder, do better. Then they will use some catchy phrases like, well, the burden is the breakthrough. And people go, oh, that sounds nice. The suffering is the setup. Oh, okay, yeah. The hurt is a help and other alliterations. You get the idea. Now, none of that is wrong or all bad per se, but it doesn't focus on the reality that things are still ugly. That suffering, that sin, that pain still happens in the world. And we have to come to grips with that. We can't just brush it away with a catchy phrase. When we don't practice the discipline of lament to God, we don't know how to appropriately handle the real grief and pain of life that we experience. So we tend to do a number of things to get over it rather than taking it to God. For one, we can suppress it. Things are, things are really hard in your life right now. And suppressing it says, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, just leave me alone. We can isolate or run away. Hey, everything's fine. Hey, stop asking me. If you, if you keep on asking me, I'm just going to leave. We can have unhealthy processing where we suppress and we suppress until we just blow up on the people around us. We attack others. We attack the situation. But we don't directly take our, our grief and our suffering to God. Or we distract. And this is the big one for me. Things are going hard in your life. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. How was your week? Yeah, yeah, that was really hard. Yeah, I, yeah, uh-huh. Hey, have you, did you catch that show over the weekend? I think this is in large part why social media and entertainment is such a big epidemic in our society is because the idea of just turning our phone off, turning the TV off, and just sitting alone in silence before God terrifies us to death. So we just distract, and we distract, and we distract, rather than dealing with the pain that we're experiencing inside. But to practice lament, to step into this discipline, is to go before the Lord and say, God, I recognize I live in a fallen and broken world. I need you to define reality for me, because right now I'm letting the suffering, and I'm letting the grief and the sin define what reality is, and I need your help. Help me Ground myself back into what is good and what is true. Lament is where we go to God and allow ourselves to feel all of it and place all of it before him. And lamenting is not a category that the biblical authors shy away from. We see Paul in the New Testament commanding us, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. We see Jesus overflowing with compassion, crying upon the death of his friend Lazarus. We have a book in the Bible literally called Lamentations. L Lament. Asians. Thank you, seminary, for that. Part of being with Jesus and being like Jesus, which is our goal for every Christian, this is our goal for you, is to be able to weep but not and to weep with God and lament to God and asking him to ground us back to reality. It's a discipline and it's a practice that we all need. Pastor John Piper says this. He says, occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. 
He says, grieve the losses, feel the pain, weep. But then say to your weeping after a season, no, you will not define me. Sorrow because my God has said, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Therefore, even though it was good in one sense, and I miss it in one sense, I trust my God. And he has not withheld anything that is good for me. Yes, let there be weeping in those seasons. Feel the losses. Then wash your face and trust God and embrace the life that he is giving you. So we know with lament that suffering happens. And here's the reality, too, is that suffering might not let up this side of eternity in your life. But we know one day Jesus will come back and he will fix it all forever and ever and ever. And in the meantime, we take all of it and we lay it before God. We lay our grief. We lay it all before him. Which brings us to the last practice, reorienting to God. Reorienting to God. Now, to be clear, gratitude and lament are both ways of reorienting ourselves back to God. But this takes it just one step further. Psalm 42 Verse 11 is a great example of this. This is David once again. And here's what he says in his prayer. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself here. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says to himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David's not letting unreality drive him. He's talking to himself. He's saying, soul, what are you doing right now? Soul, I know you want to grieve, and I know you want to continue showing sorrow and sorrow and sorrow, but you're not in charge here. Feelings, you're not in charge here. Hope in God, that is what reality is. Hope in God. And then he says, you know what, soul? You know what, feelings? I'm still going to worship God in spite of what you are telling me to do. You are not in charge here. There's this certain sense of grittiness and rawness in this, pas- in this passage. And this is what reorienting to God is. The goal of reorienting to God is to remind ourselves of who God is. It's reminding ourselves of who God is and what he has done, what is true, and what is reality, despite what you may be feeling. So you take everything you're going through the lies you're believing, and with all of your might, you practice this tool of reorienting yourself back to God. Because what tends to happen is you have these circumstances right here, and this is all you can focus on. And the reality is God loves you, and he's good, and he's for you, but all you can see are your circumstances. All you can see are your feelings. And reorienting to God is saying, God, this is what I want to recognize. I understand All I can see now is this, but this doesn't define me. You are the one who defines me. So God, I'm going to ground myself back in reality. But in order to reorient yourself to God, you need to have a pulse on where you are. You need to have some understanding about your inner life and what you tend to run to and go towards. And you need to process your feelings before the Lord. So when we were in teaching team, this was a really helpful tool, even for me as someone who is not the most emotionally equipped. But whenever someone says, I feel like, that should give you a clue. That should give you a clue as to how they are perceiving reality in that moment. 
So if someone says, I feel like I want some alarm bells to go off here, like ding, 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 because what is happening when you say, I feel like, what you are really saying is, my perception towards this situation is this. Or I'm interpreting life through this lens. So even when you're in life group this week and someone shares something really hard, your response should be, how does that make you feel? If they haven't expressed it already, to say, how does that make you feel? When they say, I feel like, what they are really saying is, this is how I'm interpreting my reality. Now, in light of that, is their reality true or are they living in an unreality? So the invitation from David's example in Psalm 42 is to clue us in. Okay, I feel like this. I'm perceiving this. I'm reacting to this. But is this truly reality? Am I perceiving reality correctly? And if I'm not, I need to reorient myself in who God is and what he has done for me. I need to bring his word, bring his reality back into the focus. Because discipleship, following Jesus, is a decision to live by what we know to be true about God. It's a dedication to reality about God at all costs, no matter what. In Psalm 42, David calls his inner life into order. He reminds himself, in light of all of this, I'm still going to hope. I'm still going to worship God in light of all of this, that God is still working, he is still moving, and even though my inner life says one thing that is not accurate, it doesn't matter, I'm still going to believe this about God. Reorient, to reorient, to say, come on, soul, to rededicate back to reality, come on, feelings, this is what is true about God. And the truth is, this is hard. This is hard to do. That's why we call them disciplines. So for me lately, I've been putting this into practice and it has been tough, but it has been so beneficial for my life just within the last four months or so to really ground myself back into reorienting, to really pour my guts out before God. So often what this looks like is I will wake up maybe an hour, an hour and a half before kids wake up when it's still pitch black outside and I'll make some hard coffee and get to the furthest room in the house away from my kids so that I don't hear them starting to cry or something. And I open my Bible, and I just pour my heart out before God with everything that I'm feeling. I reorient and ground myself back to reality. I just quiet my soul, just get into a, a physical space that is quiet where I can just read God's word. I usually start with just a psalm. And just slowly work through one psalm and just quiet my soul to listen to God and just pour my soul out to him. Because my tendency, my tendency is to let my workload dictate my identity. Like if work is going really great, then God must really be proud of me. If the workload is not going great, then God's disappointed in me. But that's not reality. And reorienting myself to the reality of who God is is to say my identity is grounded in the person and work of Jesus, not in what I do, but in what Christ has done for me. Uh, I, I tend to want to let my phone dictate my attention, that my attention goes to whatever the latest notification is on my phone, whatever the latest news blurb is, and to reorient myself back to God is to turn off my phone, to just walk away from it for at least maybe that first hour of the day and just sit before God and let my attention focus on him because he is what matters, 
not my phone, not what, not what is happening on the Twitter thread, but in what he says is true. Oftentimes, I will feel in the moment when kids are just insane and it's just been a really hard day or week or month or season to just let that dictate what is going on in my life and to quiet my soul and to remind myself and to reorient each day to acknowledge God is still on the throne and he is still sovereign and none of this that's happening in my life is a surprise to him. He works all things to the good of those who love him. So I need to trust him and remind myself that he is still on the throne even when my life just feels like an absolute wreck. So with all this stuff, we don't want to ignore, we don't want to suppress, we don't want to run away, we, want to dis- we don't want to distract, but rather Psalm 42 is an invitation for me and it's an invitation for you to pour yourself out before God and remind yourself of the truth of who God is and what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. And listen here, like practicing these things don't just magically solve the problems. If you do it for one morning, it doesn't just instantly all your troubles go away. Or if you just do this for a season, then you will not sin anymore for the rest of your life. No, that's not it. It's not this magical pill, but rather it's grounding ourselves every single moment of every single day back to the reality of who God is. The truth is, control is always going to be a thing for me. Looking to my works to make myself righteous before God is probably always going to be a thing for me this side of eternity. Uncertainty, doubt. So I have to continually choose to go back to God over and over and over again because I want to be a person who makes it for the long haul. I want to be a person who is seeking to pursue someone who is constantly after God's own heart. I want to be a person who, even thinking about the sermon from last week, a person who passes on his love for the Lord to his children. And they love Jesus so much that they want to pass it down to their children. I want to be a person who makes it for the long haul, who passes down a love for Jesus for generations to come. But how does that happen? Dedicating ourselves to reality at all costs, no matter what. So with everything we're doing, with trying to manage and navigate the difficulties of life, to get our inner lives in order where we're healthy and stable and secure, the truth is we have the incredible gift and opportunity to go before God. Always. Satan, your flesh, wants to tell you that, hey, you've done this and God is not going to listen to you, but that is not reality. The Holy Spirit, for those who trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have access to go before God at any moment of any day, no matter what. And he delights to listen to you. To have our perceptions match reality, that God is present, that he is active in the world, that he is good, that he loves you, that he died on the cross for you and conquered death for you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, and that one day he is going to make all things new. This is what we want to ground ourselves in. And yes, it's hard, and the tendency for sin is to always veer the other direction, but we need to dedicate ourselves. This is what is true, no matter what. Dedicate yourself to it. So this morning, we want you to see this as an invitation. Today, 
this week, this month, even right now as we respond, as we sing the psalms, as the band comes up. What do I struggle with here? When it comes to these three tools, which one am I really struggling to ground myself back to reality? Do I have a posture of thankfulness? Do I lament to God about everything I'm grieving and going through? Am I reorienting myself back to the reality of who God is? So what I want to do is I want to pray for us, and then we're going to just have some time where we just step into these practices and quiet our souls and just be before God. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you delight in hearing us. Thank you that you have paid the penalty for sin once and for all, that you have conquered death, that your spirit is dwelling in us. We have access to go before you at any moment with whatever we are going through. Spirit, ground us back to reality. Each and every single moment of every single day. Help us to quiet our souls, to listen to you, to quiet our souls and just hear what is our inner dialogue saying and is it true of reality or not? God, we recognize this is, this is a difficulty. This isn't going to come naturally. It's going to look different for each of us, how to have that space. But God, you want this for us. So Jesus, help us to be a people who dedicate ourselves to reality no matter what so that we can practice this for the long haul, that we can pass it down to generation, to generation, to generation. Pray this in all your... In your name, amen.